but we all tend to, to we all tend to do that sometimes. We take a passage of scripture and we twist it to make our point, uh, justify our actions. Uh, so we, we we tend to take scripture sometimes and twist it away from maybe ways that the, the author was intending. Uh, and so what we're going to do this over the next four weeks is we're going to look at some passages where we tend to do that. Um, I will tell you, even though it's a very lighthearted approach, uh, it's I think this series has a lot of deep theological impact. Uh, and so I would encourage you to uh, write down, uh, take notes. There's a place for that on the back of your weekly news. It's almost like we planned it. Um, and so you but you have the ability to write something down, take it home, reflect upon it um, and, and think about uh, how we're able to, to, to better uh, live this out. And so we're going to start um, each week uh, with, with a different passage. So today, let's look at our first passage that we're going to look at. It's in Romans 8:28. It may be a passage that many of you have heard before. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, that may be a passage you've heard of, and we take that and we twist it. And so we will come up with sayings like, everything happens for a reason. Now, when we say a phrase like that, we, we say it as a way to, to offer comfort. Most of the time, we're saying to somebody who's going through something difficult, we're trying to, to extend some level of comfort, and we're saying, okay, there's a reason that you're doing it. It's not like that we think that we live in a world where there's not a cause and effect. We know that, that, that there is, but, but we're basically saying to people, okay, you, you just can't really fully see the big picture that God has got this and God is in control and this is going according to the way God wants it to go. And so we're trying to offer some level of encouragement, but we haven't really thought about the theological implications of it. Now, it may not be everything happens for a reason, but maybe it's a saying like this. This must have been their time. Or it's just God's will. It was meant to be. It's part of the plan. All of those are variations of this same thing that everything happens for a reason based on this passage in Romans. Does everything happen for a reason? Is everything that happens part of God's plan and is that plan immutable, meaning that nothing can change it? Is that how the world works? Now I'm going to offer to you a few critiques of this phrase to kind of stop and think about. The first critique I would tell you would be is if, if we operate with this mindset, then it removes personal responsibility. There's, if everything is part of God's immutable plan, then there's nothing that we can do. So everything that happens, God desired for it to happen. So if you drink and drive, and you go and hit somebody, it's just part of God's plan. And then a second follow-up critique of that is not only does it remove um, our responsibility, it makes God responsible for every horrible thing that happens in this world. 
last night got the mission team came over to our house uh, for a, a, a celebratory dinner as before this like the last thing we got to eat really good no just kidding uh, but it, we didn't tell them that uh, but but they came over to, and, and after we were cleaning up afterwards and I got this thing to my phone that that told me about the attack in London if you don't know there was a terror attack last night in London somebody drove a car onto the the London Bridge and the pedestrians and ran over people and then somebody else attacked people with knives uh, in a cafe nearby. Seven people were killed. Forty-eight people were, were injured. Um, that would be part of God's plan. God did that. And then a third critique from that not only would it remove our responsibility and would make God responsible for everything, it leads to what's called fatalism, which is if it's part of God's plan, why do anything? Why wear a seatbelt? Because if it's your time, it's your time. Uh, why eat healthy? Uh, why, why try to, to diet and do exercise? Because it's all part of God's immutable plan. And so there's nothing for us to do. Can you kind of see where this goes, this line of thinking? Is that how it works? And once you begin to ask that question, is that how it works? Then you begin to start trying to think theologically. How is God working? And so I want to bring up two different concepts for you. One concept that I would invite you to think, one area of theology that we're talking about basically is the providence of God. So this would be something you want to write down, providence of God. And you can see in this word, the word provide. We're talking about how does God rule? How does God, how does God provide? How does God govern? How does God uh, guide us in, in, in this life? And as Christians, we believe that God oversees, that God's providence exists. And then a second area of theology that it brings up is the word sovereignty. And sovereignty is... The highest authority, it's, a, it's, it's somebody who is not dependent upon anybody else. And so as Christians, we believe that, that God is sovereign. We believe that God is the ultimate authority. And so as Christians, we believe in the, the providence of God, and we believe in the sovereignty of God, but it's how these things interact that Christians disagree. Some Christians and some of you may be in this room, some Christians believe that everything happens for a reason. That every single thing is God's plan. That, every, that God micromanages every single detail. Then there are other Christians, and some of you may be in this room, some other Christians who, who say, no, God kind of created the world, stepped back and said, y'all go for it. Uh, figure it out. Um, and that's the other extreme. And then there are other Christians, and some of you may be in the room, who believe that it's somewhere in the middle. One person who had an extreme position in the area of providence is John Calvin. Calvin um, was uh, a pastor, and he wrote uh, the Great Institutes of Religion. He was a great reformer in the Protestant Reformation. Uh, and he took an extreme position in the area of providence, and he said this. He wrote down when he was talking about the providence of God, no wind ever rises or rages without God's special command. And if you 
Before meteorology, that made sense because you go read the scripture and it talks about how God gives rain, God withholds rain. And so all of that made sense. But a few weeks ago, getting ready for this sermon, um, I looked at my, I have a weather app. I'm a weather freak. So I, I have a weather app on my phone, and it told me that uh, back in April, it told me that today's weather would be a uh, high of 84 degrees with a 66% chance of rain. Now, I looked this morning when I got here, and the high is supposed to be 82 with a 62% chance of rain, and I think from the clouds, it's going up uh, on the percentage. But but did my app predict what God was going to do, or did my app take into effect the weather conditions and the weather patterns and the things of history to be able to kind of give us a better, clear picture? See, Calvin says that every thought that you have is from God. You, you, you can't have an original thought, that everything comes from God. He's quoted as saying this, everything good or bad is fixed by God's decree, that everything. So if you take that theologically, you can stop and go, so there's, you cannot reject Christ or accept Christ on your own. That before the world was created, before creation began, you were preordained to accept Christ. You, you, there's nothing you can do. You're irresistible to reject the grace of God. Or, before the world began, you were created to be damned. And there's nothing that you can do that can help you accept Christ. It's a theological position. It's called theological determinism. And theological determinism comes out of Calvinism. And there's a lot of things that I like about John Calvin. This just isn't one of them. Uh, but, but, but it's a position that we have to understand. And, 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 and me, you know, in this world where everything's so uncertain, I kind of get the whole idea of what would appreciate about it. I mean, with everything up in the air with regards to terrorism and everything that's up in the air with regards to the economy and everything that's in our, in our world, there's a certain appreciation about the certainty that would come with this belief. And so there's a part of us that, that can like that until you really stop and think about it. See, I look at that and go, I have a 14-year-old daughter And before the creation of the world, she was damned. Is that how the world works? See, John Wesley, who was the founder of Methodism, he looked and he said, that leaves no room for grace. That leaves no room for mercy. That's, it's inconsistent with a God of justice and a God of mercy and a God of love. And don't get me wrong, there are a lot of scriptures that you can try to go in and look and see and support this. But the overarching message, when I look at scripture, the overarching message is that God created us with a mind. God created us with reason. God created us with a heart to feel and the ability to make choices. Look at what it says in Genesis. When you read part of the creation story in Genesis 1, talking about Adam and Eve, he says, God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. 
and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God who is sovereign, God who is the ultimate authority, who's the ruler of all things, created humanity, looked at us, and he says, I'm going to put you in charge. Does that mean God's not in charge? No, God's still in charge, but he's put us as responsible for creation. He gives us the freedom to make choices, good or bad. He places us with responsibility, and when things happen, do we blame God? Moses, when Moses is dealing with the Israelite people, he's getting ready to die, and he makes this last plea and speech to the, to the Israelites. But if, if you're going to get it, I want you to hear this one last thing. Look at what it says in Deuteronomy 30. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says to the people of Israel, Here, here's the path that leads to life. Here's the path that leads to fullness. Here's the path that's going to lead you to love God and to be in love with God and to experience the fullness of everything that God has for you. And here's the path that's going to lead to destruction. It's going to lead you away from God to where you're not going to feel that connection. Choose life. Why would he tell us that? if we didn't have choice. But we have to choose. We have to decide to live it out. Now, some of the decisions that we make are just decisions. They're not moral implications. You're going to go to lunch somewhere today. You decide where you want to go eat. But we also have to realize that some of the things that we do have inherent risk. If you... Enjoy motorcycles. How many of you ride motorcycles? Okay, so so those of you, no, you raised your hand. So those of you who raised your hand, you've already admitted it now. Uh, I, so let me ask you a question. Is there a risk to riding a motorcycle? You know it when you get on it, right? So, I mean, you're going 60 miles an hour where there's nothing between you and the pavement. You know there's inherent risk. There's an inherent risk when you get on the plank. You know that. There's an there's an inherent risk in everything you do. Do you know there are signs? If you go skiing in Colorado, there are signs that says um, you, that you're taking a risk skiing, and if you do something stupid, you can't sue the state of Colorado um, because there's an inherent risk there. But, but we have to recognize that with that inherent risk comes the greatest joy of life at the same time. Part of the joy is living that life that has some risk. God has given us dominion, but God still has the ultimate dominion. Then you may stop and go, well, if God's not micromanaging, if God's not pushing all the buttons, what's God doing? Well, see, that's where the other theological uh, extreme comes in because some, many of our founding fathers, they believed in what's called deism. And deism is literally like the watchman. This is Deism is God creates the universe, and then he pulls away, and he says, y'all figure it out. And there's a certain part that's freeing in that appealing. I mean, that's, that's appealing in that freedom as well. But you read scripture, and you go, okay, but I see the Israelites, that God rescues the Israelites and delivers them. You read scripture, and the, spirit, the scripture speaks to you. 
you hear about today, we're celebrating Pentecost, the day that the church is given the gift of the Holy Spirit. We, we, we read about the Holy Spirit coming upon the church. We see God working in our midst. And so we see God's presence and God's working. He just doesn't force things to happen. See, the way that I experience it in my own life is I wake up every day and I try to pay attention to what God wants me to do. I try to look for those opportunities that he wants me to, to love on other people and to, to serve other people, to respond to him. I don't often hear no audible voices. I hear nudges. I hear, I, I may have a dream. Uh, it, there's lots of ways that God may, may nudge me along. But that's how it's worked in most of my life. Last Sunday, we had our worship on the lawn inside. Uh, we'll call it 2.0. Uh, worship on the lawn 2.0. And so um, we got through. We went downstairs. We had lunch, and we were getting ready to leave. Uh, Claire was going to go see her mother, and so I was said, well, I'm going to go. We had needed a couple of things at the grocery store. I said, I'm going to go to Publix because Publix had a deal on free peanut butter. And so this is my life. And so I was going to Publix, and, but something told me to go to Kroger. So I'm like, okay, so I'll go to Kroger. I got home, and Claire's like, where's the peanut butter? And I'm like, well, I didn't go to Publix. And so, um, but, but when I go, I'm going to Kroger, I'm pulling in, I'm walking in, and there's somebody from the church who's walking in at the exact same time. Now, on a Sunday afternoon after church, when you encounter someone, you're a preacher, and you encounter someone at the grocery store who obviously didn't go to church, you can imagine how that conversation goes. <laughs> Every Sunday, uh, that's how that conversation would go. But, so, but, but this person was like, you could tell they were, they, were, they were troubled a little bit. And they said they had been praying when they pulled into the Kroger parking lot for God to remind them that he was still there. And then they ran into me. I'm not God. I got it. But I represented God in that situation. Is that a coincidence? Is that a God incident? See, I, I, I believe that that happened for a reason. However, I don't think God forced it. Because if I'm honest, most of the time I would have just gone to Publix. God nudges me, and I don't do what God nudges me to do. God tells me to call and check on somebody, and I get busy, and I keep moving on. So I know God doesn't force it. We have a choice. And sometimes our choices hurt people. Sometimes other people's choices hurt us. And so God gives us this ability to make a choice. And, and horrible things sometimes happen. But folks, we live in what's called post-resurrection. And what we learned about at Easter, what we thought about was the worst thing is not the last thing. And so even though horrible things happen, we have the resurrection of Jesus Christ to remind us 2014 was 
possibly the worst year that our family has experienced so far. We had major losses, and a friend of mine wrote me a card. And inside the card, this is what they wrote. Suffering is not God's desire for us, but it occurs in the process of life. Suffering is not given to teach us something, but through it we may learn. Suffering is not given to punish us, but sometimes it is the consequence of our sin or poor judgment. Suffering does not occur because our faith is weak, but through it our faith may be strengthened. God does not depend on human suffering to achieve his purposes, but sometimes through suffering his purposes are achieved. Suffering can either destroy us or it can add meaning to our life. I think that's more what Paul was saying when he wrote in Romans 8 this passage. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What it doesn't say is that God makes bad things happen, that you just can't see it. It says that when things happen, God can still make something good. God can redeem suffering, and that has been my experience. I don't think God has caused any of you to get cancer. I don't think God caused any of us to be abused as children. But I believe God has the ability to redeem suffering. When I was early in ministry, there was a, I was the associate pastor in another church about the size of our church. I was really new, and I got a phone call one night from someone whose child had just been born, and they asked me to come to the hospital because their child was sick. And so I had never met them. Uh, and so I get dressed, I get to the hospital, and I get to the hospital just moments after their baby had passed away. And so I have to walk into this hospital room, um, and the first time I meet with the family, they've lost their children, they lost their child. I didn't know what to do. Um, seminary doesn't prepare you for that. And so I walk in, and they said, would you pray? And so we circled up and we prayed. I could not tell you what I prayed, but that mother can. She told me years later, she said, what you prayed was, God, I don't know what to pray. She said, people would tell me, is this part of God's plan? That everything happens for a reason? It's moments like that in our lives where they either push you away from God or can draw you to God. And she said it was that prayer, I don't know what to pray, that kept drawing her back to God. What she said she came to understand was that God doesn't force bad things to happen. that when bad things happen, God's promise is he's present. And she said it forced her or gave her something that most people in her family did not have because they were not people of faith. It gave her hope. And she said that's what has sustained her and carried her forward from that day forward is the hope. 
folks, we're not we're not promised that life is going to be easy. We're not promised that life is going to be good. And some of you walk in with some really bad things going on in your life. Today, as we celebrate Pentecost, we celebrate the presence of God in our life and the hope that that offers to us. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we are so thankful. We are thankful, God, that you are God who is present and working and active. And Lord, I pray for each person who walked in this door, and I pray, Lord, I, there are some who are who are going through a lot of difficult circumstances. There are some in this room who are sick who are fearful of what tomorrow may be. There are some who have lost loved ones in the last day or two and who are grieving. There's others who are stressed because of finances. They don't see a way forward. And I pray, O oh God, that in all of these circumstances and any others that we don't mention, I pray, O oh God, that right now we hold on to the hope that is in your Son, Jesus Christ. The hope of the presence of the Holy Spirit working in us and walking with us and guiding us. So that we can claim what Paul wrote, which is that you have the ability to redeem all suffering and that things that we may look at as harm and bad and difficult, you are somehow able to work good. And we give you that praise and that glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray.